I'm Brenna, a certified sex expert and sex coach who is passionate about human sexuality, female empowerment, and helping people develop the sex life of their dreams. I'm Brian, certified relationship coach, eager to share my unique relationship experiences along with a rich history of sexuality to coach you through your personal journey. And you're listening to Sex on Your Terms. Change is an inevitable part of life and a fundamental part of personal evolution. Sometimes that change is conscious. We decide to change. Other times we change because of the situations and life experiences that come our way. We're going to talk a little bit about our own personal evolution, the things that have changed for us since becoming non-monogamous people and since getting on the road, and also how that relates to personal growth in general. But before we get to that, we wanted to share a sex in the news that we found quite interesting. I did for sure. Here's the thing. I am fascinated by porn. We talk about this all the time. I want to be turned on by porn and I am becoming more interested in certain types of porn. But I also have a really difficult time with suspension of disbelief with that idea of like if it's a scripted thing and it's orchestrated, I really can't get in the mood because all I'm thinking about is all of the extraneous stuff that's going on. Like, are they being ordered to do this? And, you know, especially because of all of the kind of maybe not super awesome conditions that women experience in the porn world. I always think of those types of things. But I also always think of things like, does she actually like this guy? And does he actually like her? Or do these people actually enjoy each other? Do they want to be having sex right now? I don't know. Is that weird? No, I don't. You know, I don't care for it either. It's not my thing. And the the fiction of it is what bothers me. You know, I don't even like science fiction movies so yeah. i don't you know if it's fiction i would rather not watch it i certainly won't read a fiction novel i just don't care for it i like the realism and porn is no different for me i could just you can sense the you know the fakeness in it and it's you know as you said orchestrated robotic mechanical it's just not organic and it doesn't do anything for me that's it's the same reason i don't watch like gray's anatomy or <laughs> you know other scripted television i really hardly watch any of that stuff because all i think about in the back of my head is do these these people actually want to be interacting with one another. Well, we rarely so. watch TV anyway, and if we do, it's not that stuff. I just can't do it. But I am fascinated by porn because I do think it is in so many ways very far from reality of sex. And I, of course, think such sex is such a beautiful thing. So it is interesting to read some of the differences between porn sex and reality sex. And that's basically what this article outlines. It is from Glamour magazine, and it's called Eight Surprising Secrets That Go Into Making Porn. For example, the bodily fluids that you see on people typically in porn are not actually semen or ejaculate. Typically, they are some form of either lube or liquid penicillin. There was one director in the article that said that she uses a mix of liquid penicillin and Cetaphil lotion. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So basically, like, for example, if a man is ejaculating in a scene, he is actually ejaculating. But when they do the shot at the end where the the woman has it in her mouth or on her face or on some other part of her body, that is typically a synthetic substance of some sort right so i thought that was really interesting well it's kind of like when you see on tv like if it's a cereal commercial for example it's not really milk necessarily that you're seeing in the bowl it's like glue yeah you know that kind of thing yeah exactly it just it takes it takes the like the realism is gone like you know it's like you know the magician's tricks yeah. yeah. Well, even in commercials, like food always looks better in commercials of because course. they spray it with something to make it look shiny yeah. and beautiful. Shellac in a lot of cases just to make it shine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's never the real thing. It's like you get it. And you're like, wait, wait, it didn't look like this. Right. <laughs> On the commercial, it looked totally different. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with porn. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, it's reality, you know, versus complete fiction. Yeah. Also, another thing that they talked about is that every, and I could have guessed this, of course, but to read it is really interesting. Everything in porn is timed, like down to the second. For example, a lot of times directors will provide a script and it'll say in minute one through four, you should be doing this. Minute one through four, you should be masturbating. Minute five through eight, you're going to be doing this and that and this and that. It's orchestrated the entire way through. Sure. It's very rare that porn is... 
free flowing. Yeah, like they're allowed to kind of bounce off of each other and and allow it to organically flow. That's some directors do it that way, according to the article, but it's very rare. Yeah, time is money. Chop chop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another one, of course, we could have guessed this one, but STD results are shared beforehand, and they are very scrupulous in the porn world, sure. which makes total sense and is awesome that they do that. And this is an interesting one. So performers sometimes have lines that they are expected to speak during their scenes. And the directors will hold the lines up on a whiteboard and will put it above the camera. And I thought that was so interesting. I never would have expected that from porn. I guess I kind of just assumed that maybe you had a script ahead of time. You read through the script. You were supposed to kind of memorize it to some degree. But apparently directors will kind of take liberties in the middle of a scene and expect you to kind of change gears or say something that that just came to mind for them. And they'll put it on a whiteboard above the camera. Well, it's like a teleprompter. I mean, live TV and uh, actors, people use them all the time, I guess. So why not? Yeah. And this one's interesting. You know, fluffers in porn. Yeah. That's not actually a real thing for most and on most porn sets. Well, that sounds unfortunate. Yeah. So if you guys aren't familiar with fluffers, it's basically this concept of someone provides you with pleasure of some sort before a scene so that you are hard when you go into the scene. And I think it's just kind of this urban legend of porn that fluffers are a thing on set. But according to both of the directors that they talked to in this article, it's very, very rare to actually have a fluffer on set. That's interesting. So, yeah, I thought that was a cool article. I, I like reading about it. Like I said, it fascinates me and I'm certainly not anti-porn. I think if you are into that sort of thing and it gets you off, why not? Yeah, listen, I, it works for a lot of people. It's 99% of what you see on in the internet so oh absolutely people must enjoy it I, it just doesn't do anything for me well i guess part of it too is like we have such a good sex life and if i'm if i'm going to get off i kind of want it to be with you or i will use our past experiences or yeah. the things that i want us to do in the future to get me off for like sure. yesterday i was masturbating and i was thinking about a specific fantasy that you and i have been talking about and using that as my fuel and for me that's so much more fun a because i get to use my imagination and I get to kind of cultivate a scene in my head exactly how I want it to be. But B, it includes you. And I think you're the most sexy person ever. So it's way more enticing to me to think about you doing something naughty than a complete stranger in porn. Yeah, I mean, same for me. Typically, if I'm masturbating, it's to something that you and I have done or that you have done that I am now aware of kind of thing. I don't need the porn. Yeah. (laughs) So like I said, not anti-porn. We don't want to come across as that, but I did no, think I it was... No, I try. We've I, tried together. For sure we have. I do think it's interesting to look at the reality versus the perception of porn and some of the things that are happening behind the scenes. Yeah, it definitely is. So... As mentioned, we are going to be talking about personal evolution today, uh, evolution as a couple, change, consciously deciding to change based on things that are going on. And I think the reason that we wanted to talk about this topic is twofold. One is we've been talking a lot about who we are as non-monogamous people and how that's kind of changed who we are as people in general. But the other thing is we're now on the road. We are not at home. We don't have all of the comforts that we had at home in a lot of different ways, mostly support and friendships. You know, we're, we're making friends on the road and we've been really lucky in that way, but our lives are just so different than they used to be. And it is causing us to see opportunities for personal growth and for just becoming better in general. Yeah, like a lot of times you have to pivot when things kind of change. You have to adapt. Adaptation is not the easiest thing for you, typically. Pot kettle. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't like it. I mean, I have the ability to adapt in certain situations that are maybe less pleasant and that kind of thing because it's, you know, just from life experiences. But I am very consistent and regimented. I like routine. I do not like my routine altered in any way. Although I typically will find routine in any situation over the course of time. But it is difficult because again, like you said, our support system is no longer there. The, the comforts of uh, knowing the, you know, the place that you have lived your entire life for you is no longer there. The place I became comfortable in no longer there. So the traveling and meeting different people and all those types of things have to be done differently, which has caused us to have a lot of introspective thought and yeah. what we're doing and what we're planning on doing. I think we should talk a little bit about how non-monogamy in general has changed us, both for good and potentially for bad. 
And let's start there. I'm not sure what the bad would be necessarily. I was trying to think too. I really can't think of anything bad. But well, I guess if I guess it depends on how you look at it, right? We can talk about it. But I think if if it's a bad thing, in my opinion, what's happened is that we don't necessarily have the ability to kind of look favorably on monogamy as we, as much as we did before. We find flaws in it. Yeah. That that may be the biggest issue. I think so too and I think part of it is because we were both in monogamous relationships before this and uh, of course they didn't work that's why they ended. Right. And it is really easy now that we're on the other side of it. We see even me saying the other side of it isn't necessarily fair but for us it, it was the other side of it. Yeah. Coming to the realization that we are not monogamous people was huge for us and not only in our relationship but for us personally. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. I think we look back on our previous lives now is like, well, we just didn't know enough at that time. And, you know, we weren't aware enough of what it was we really wanted and needed. And now that we know we could never go back. But that doesn't mean that monogamous relationships can't work and be healthy. And I, I do think that sometimes we lose sight of that because of our own personal experiences. Absolutely. And there's definitely, I mean, there are examples of monogamous relationships and, you know, within my friends and family, obviously, that prove that it works 100%. Now, work is relative, I guess, whatever your definition of that is. But for us, at least for me, I won't speak for you on this. The I think the negative in how successful our relationship is and how much we've grown or that I've grown through ethical non-monogamy, I tend to look at relationships that aren't ethically non-monogamous, that aren't open, that aren't completely transparent in terms of particularly in sexuality and I, I don't know that I look on. I don't look at them the same way anymore, and probably, probably not a hundred percent fair. A lot of times. Yeah, I mean, I do. I do believe that there are certain people who are meant to be monogamous. Oh, for sure. For I a know plethora of different reasons, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with those relationships, but. I do think that monogamy, there's a, such a thing as toxic monogamy. We've talked about it on this show before. And I think that's why we look unfavorably on monogamous relationships a lot of times. Because I look at, for example, relationships my friends have. And almost every single one of them contains some type of toxic monogamy. It's this idea of if my partner's jealous, he cares about me. If my partner sees me as a possession of some sort, that's a good thing. That's how it should be in a monogamous relationship. So those are things that, of course, now that I'm on the other side of it, I'm like, I could never be like that. I would never want to be like that. No, it's that whole thing. Well, if we, you know, we fight and we argue because we love each other. Uh, I don't know that that's a thing necessarily. Or, you know, the other one is that we hear all the time is, relationships are a lot of hard work. Yeah. And it's like, we look at our relationship and I'm like, I don't see it as hard work. I do. We work at things, of course, and we're always trying to improve our relationship, but I'm excited to do that. So I don't look at it as hard work. Right. Again, it's evolution for me. I don't think it's a, a, a question of work. It doesn't take effort for me to do the things that you and I do together or to attempt to evolve the way we have or, or experience new things or have a conversation about something that to most people would find very difficult to talk about. I don't find that as work. It's just fundamental. But I do, I mean, I think you're right. If anything negative has come out of us as people, as changed people because of non-monogamy, I think that that's the biggest one is sometimes being quick to judge other people's relationships. We have a little bit of relationship smugness yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and the truth is a lot of folks in our situation do that we have met even as of recently. They can't wrap their heads around the idea of this of a monogamous life anymore and they lived a monogamous life before they got into the lifestyle or before they came ethically non-monogamous just like we did. So a lot of people once they've again crossed over, right? <laughs> it's like, ah, how did people do that or and then you start to spot the holes in relationships or at least the perceived holes, right? Like we talk about it all the time. You and I will be out somewhere and you know instinctively a couple isn't necessarily that they're, it's not that they're not happy with one another, but they're definitely not engaged. They're on their phones. They're sitting at dinner. They're sitting across from one another. They're not talking to each other. There's no touching. There's no contact. There's no eye contact. Literally no conversation. Don't even pick up their heads. And you just know that everything else can't be perfect in that relationship. It, it can't be great. Right. You know, yeah, it's so true. So yeah, biggest negative to come out of that. For we sure. need to probably be a little less judgmental. Well, I mean, it, it goes to back to something that we were talking about even last night on our ride home. We had a lovely dinner with friends last night. We came into town 
talking about empathy, right? Becoming more, how much more empathetic certainly I have become over the course of time with our relationship and because of our relationship. So we have to have a little bit more empathy for those folks instead of just pulling the trigger going, yeah, I don't think that's a great relationship. Well, let's talk about positives because I do think empathy is a big one that's come out of it for both of us. Yeah. I think for me personally, before this relationship, I mean, if I'm just being completely honest, I don't think I cared enough to be truly empathetic. That's part of the problem. Uh, I think in most other relationships I've been in prior to being with you, it was... I learned a certain level of selfishness because I didn't care to be selfless. And this relationship totally changed me in that, I should say this relationship and becoming non-monogamous changed me in that I immediately wanted to be selfless, more selfless for you. I still struggle with it sometimes. Still an opportunity for me to work on some things and become a better person because I still have selfish moments. But I think this is the first relationship where I have felt like I want you to be happy and I I work hard for that to be a thing. And non-monogamy has just amped that up for me because now all of a sudden you're not just dealing with one person, you're dealing with a lot of different people. And when you're dealing with couples, who also have a lot on the line and who also love each other a lot and want to have good experiences, your level of empathy is just taken up to a a higher level because all of a sudden you're taking a lot of people's feelings into consideration in one instance. Yeah, I would agree. Pre-you and ethical non-monogamy and our relationship, my level of empathy, as we talked about yesterday, I mean, it was virtually undetectable, I think. I did not care. I was not concerned about anyone else's relationship. I was certainly, I was barely concerned about most of mine for a large portion of my life. And a lot of that, I think, is due to a lack of understanding of exactly what it was that I needed and really a lack of an, of an ability to articulate what I wanted. And, you know, you get frustrated and indifferent when that type of thing happens, at least I do. And then, of course, you check out. And once that happens, empathy, along with all of the other emotions, simply goes out the window. So certainly, since you and I have gotten together and become a couple and and started down the path of ethical non-monogamy, you, like you said, have to become more empathetic because there are other people to consider. And not just you and I, obviously, which is the biggest part of why we're successful as a couple, because I put you first, not just with our our lives of ethical non-monogamy and swinging and all of that, but just in general. And as you mentioned, interacting with other couples, even other singles, there are other people involved. So all of that has to be considered. And if you don't have some empathy for people's situations and personal needs and desires and boundaries and limits and all those things... You very quickly, you're, you're not going to be successful in this space. Well, the other thing is in the world of non-monogamy, you learn how to juggle empathy and putting other people's needs on a pedestal with your own wants and needs and desires. Like you learn how to balance all of those things. It's like all these spinning plates that you're constantly having to watch and make sure one doesn't fall off. And it takes a lot of skill. It takes a lot of people skills. It also takes a lot of communication. So, I mean, that is something that I think has changed us drastically for the better is being able to understand how you can balance those things and how sometimes you can't balance them as well. And that's when you need to walk away, which is something else that I think has been a a huge positive change for us is learning when to spot a bad situation and being okay with walking away from it, not feeling guilty, not feeling as if we have to pump energy or effort into something that doesn't make sense. That's something that I've struggled with my entire life, obviously not in just sexual relationships, but more so with friendships. There were very toxic friendships that I had or just friendships where we just weren't compatible in some way. And I would still try to make it work and still try to maintain some level of connection because I always felt guilty walking away from that person. And in this world, in our non-monogamous world, you can't be like that. Otherwise, you get sucked into really horrible situations. I agree. I've experienced some of the same relationships that on the surface seemed okay in the past, but really weren't fulfilling in any way, whether it's a relationship or a friendship. And you you try to make something out of it, you know, lemons and lemonade, that kind of thing. But in, in this space, I don't think it's it's healthy to do that. You, you put a lot of people at risk in a number of different ways, not the least of which is emotionally, potentially, and it, it just doesn't make sense. So I think there's a lot more, I guess I think there's a lot more truth in non-monogamy than in monogamy, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think there has to be. You have to be not only honest with yourself, but honest with other people. Yeah. And you have to have the vulnerability to be able to do that and not be concerned about how you're going to come across. That's the other thing is, I think, especially, you know, I hate to, to bring it back to a gender thing, but women are are socialized to be people pleasers. And so it's really difficult to disappoint people as a woman. And I've really struggled with that in my past, you know, wanting people to like me, wanting people to see me in a certain way. And I've really gotten past that in the world of non-monogamy because I can't be concerned. I have to think about you and me first. And I know that that sounds selfish, but at the end of the day, it's it's what has to happen. It's like self-preservation in order to make this make sense over a long period of time time. Well, I think that's just one other aspect of how you've evolved personally because you have become that way, whether it was a relationship or even professionally for you. Oh, I'm far more direct. I'm far less concerned about hurting people's feelings. And not to say I want to hurt anyone's feelings, of course, but I also realize that I have a strong voice and I should be using it. I think that's the biggest personal change that's come from non-monogamy for me is understanding my not only the strength of my own voice, but how to use it in a way that ends bad situations and perpetuates good situations. Well, you're you're not going to hurt anyone's feelings that purposely, certainly, or maliciously, but you're also not going to hesitate to say something you need to say in order to get your point across, to protect yourself or me or, or others for that matter. But you've found your voice for sure in this space and it permeates not just the, the lifestyle for us, but your you know our professional lives and, and your personal lives, even your relationships with friends and family have has changed because of the fact that you have you are just now a much more empowered, confident person. Yeah, which some people from my past don't always love. But. No, well, yeah, they, yeah, they don't they don't dig it at all because well, what happened to demure, quiet? not confrontational Brenna. And they're like, what, what is that? Yeah, she was more likable. She was easier to get along with. Well, like I told you, <laughs> I said, th- I say this all the time. When people label you as difficult, all that means is that you're not taking their crap. Yeah. That's all that means. When people say, oh, they're difficult to deal with. She's difficult to deal with. He's difficult to deal with. That's because they're not taking your crap and you don't like it. Yeah. And that's demanding respect. I think that's the biggest thing for me, especially with like family, for example. Now I demand a certain level of respect that I didn't before. And because they're family and they've known me for so long, it was shocking to them in the beginning. They were like, whoa, who is this person? But I'm proud of that person because now I advocate for myself on a really high level. And as a result of that, I have maybe not always better relationships, but certainly more genuine relationships. No question about it. And and I think along those lines, for you specifically, as as we're talking about this. The other thing I think that you have benefited from greatly, as I mentioned earlier, is confidence, not just from finding your voice, but becoming confident in who you are as a person in general. You were very much not the, you know, the the light necessarily of an event. You were very kind of standoffish, a little in the back, you know, in the corner, in the background. You weren't the loudest voice in the room, certainly. At all. You certainly weren't the first one to get undressed in, in a situation. Now you are, you're that person. And you're just much more comfortable with who you are. And I think all of that comes from being successful in this space, finding the space you belong in, obviously the relationship that we that you belong in, I, I like to think anyway. Absolutely, of course. And so all of those things have just turned you into a much more powerful, confident, and empowered person. And it, it changed your whole demeanor. Well, you know what I think it is? I think before meeting you, before the world of BDSM, before the world of non-monogamy, I didn't really know myself. I didn't feel, I never felt good in my own skin. And I don't say that as a, as a body image thing. I say that in terms of like, I just very distinctly remember looking in the mirror at myself and being like, I don't know who the hell you are. And that has changed too. I know exactly who I am now. And I'm not only do I know who I am, but I'm proud of who I am. So I think that's, what's really changed for me. For sure. And it's not that different from me. I mean, for a long time, I was very confused as to what I wanted and what I needed. And I would, you know, go from one relationship to another with the same results. And, you know, after a while, of course, I'm 51 years old now. It took me to, what, 47 before (laughs) I figured it out with you. Some of us are slow learners, you know, just late bloomers. But yeah, it took me a long time to figure it out. And you really just have to shut everything else off and forget what it is that you think you know, and just take everything as a new experience and absorb it all and embrace it. 
embrace change and you, you have to you have to pivot you have to adjust you have to adapt otherwise you just continue to do the same thing and for me it was monotonous it was going nowhere I also think that I would like to share with you what I think your biggest change has been. <laughs> oh, this should be exceptional. <laughs> I think the biggest change I've seen from you is a willingness to experience new things. You are somebody who is has in the past been very resistant to new experiences. And also if an experience, if you did have a new experience and it didn't go amazingly, you were very quick to shut it down. Like, for example, the very first time that we played with another woman together, as in like a threesome situation, yeah. was a train wreck of epic proportion. It was so awkward. It was so off-putting. It made you feel so uncomfortable. And it was months after that that you were saying, I am not doing that again. We are not trying to find another single woman. I am not doing the threesome thing with you again. That is not going to happen. And it did. It took you a long time to decide that you wanted to go back down that road. And now I think you take experiences individually. You aren't so quick to assume that just because one bad situation happens that it means that it's not right for us or that we shouldn't do it. And you're much more open to experiencing things multiple times or experiencing them in different ways to find what makes sense for us and for you. Well, I think what you just outlined goes right back to what we're talking about in terms of growth, right? Personal growth. When you talk about that particular experience, that was terrible. Yeah. It was a terrible experience. It sure was. For any number of reasons. <laughs> it was very it was jarring. It was very awkward at, at certain moments. Started out okay and then got very weird. It was not a good experience. Here's what's interesting, right? I mean, you think about my past. I've had a lot of threesomes and foursomes and fives. You name it, I had it. And my, I mean, that's, I was a very sexual person. I was in a sexually charged environment my entire professional life. Sex was not a problem. And in those days, I would not have cared less how that experience went, and it would not have stopped me from doing it again. What changed? Our relationship. Yeah. My level of consideration, the implementation of being thoughtful and concerned about others other than myself. I was concerned about your experience and how you felt. And for her, the, the gal that we were with, it, it made me feel bad. That situation made me feel bad because I didn't appreciate how the whole thing happened. I took responsibility for it. You took responsibility for it. We felt bad for how terrible it went and how awkward it was. And I, that was not an issue for me in the past. I didn't care. Right. It would not have occurred to me to never do it again because I told you that day, I don't think we're, I don't think I want to do this. I don't even want to pursue this. I don't want to look for the quote unquote unicorn anymore. Not interested. Well, I think what happened was you became uncomfortable and you weren't used to feeling uncomfortable in those situations. So at that time, you just shut down. Yeah. You were like, I'm done. We're not going down this road again. You were not open to it. You were just done. And I think that if that situation were to happen now, it would be a completely different reaction because you've learned and you've evolved into this person who's able to kind of go with the flow a little bit more and also to take experiences for their individual values, their individual face values. Not every experience is going to be exactly like the one prior. And we've had enough experiences at this point with different people for you to to realize that. Well, we've also gotten much better at identifying the red flags. Yeah, oh God, I yes. mean, we don't, fortunately, we don't make those mistakes anymore. No. Not with singles or couples. That was really early on for Very us. early on. Yeah, and we just, I, it got me to a point where that particular incident just made me think, okay, we've been really successful in other areas of ethical non-monogamy. Why are we trying to do this? Let's just forget this. This doesn't work. This isn't for us. And I, and I didn't want to revisit it. And we didn't for a long time, about a year, maybe yeah. more. Yeah. But now we have. And it's been great. And we've had yeah. some really great threesomes. And we've made a lifelong friend out of one of our single lady yes. playmates. Yes. You know, those are experiences that we wouldn't have had. We would have missed out on things if we would have continued to just completely move away from that part of consensual non-monogamy. And I think that's the point is that we are now far more open to things and we're we're not nearly as quick to shut things down just because we had one uncomfortable experience. Well, I think like you said, I would agree with you. My, my ability to adapt in situations and kind of see past the negative and continue you know, going forward, even if it was an uncomfortable situation or it was something I didn't necessarily care for, I'm much more open to uh, experiencing it again or, or attempting to successfully 
experience it again as you know before i would have just shut the door on it and that would have been the end of it because it's easy for me to walk away from stuff like that and just say ah that was a failure we're just we don't need to do that again and move on to something else you know what it is you're more resilient now that's that's what i think it is well no i don't even know if it's that i i just i genuinely care more because i have a partner that i also have to care about where before while i didn't not care for partners if something went south and it just kind of blew up well Okay, you know, we'll just chalk that one up to, you know, just another <laughs> loss. And it just didn't matter to me. And not as much as it should, certainly. And now I'm more concerned about what your needs are and what your feelings are and where your head is than mine. And putting someone else's needs and wants and feelings first changes that. Like you have to, I have to look inside myself and go, okay, I don't necessarily want to do this, but she really does. So I'm going to have to try to find a way to make this tolerable and just go and just do it. Well, I don't want you to do that either. I want experiences to be good for both of us. Well, yeah, but typically but, what happens is in trying to make it tolerable, I end up finding some pleasure in it. And then I enjoy it primarily because you're enjoying yourself. And if you're having a good time, I'm having a good time, then it's no issue. Where before I just wouldn't have given it a thought. It wasn't good for me and uh, it wasn't didn't make me feel good. Well, I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, and that's that. You're willing to push through some of the discomfort now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we've obviously talked a lot about how we've changed because of non-monogamy and because of our relationship. I also think that what we should talk next about is how we hope to change or the things that we've talked about that we would like to see in terms of personal evolution based on where we're at in our non-monogamous journey right now, the things that have transpired since we've been on the road. And I think what's most interesting about that is... I knew that getting on the road was going to be a big adjustment for me because I'm, I grew up in Montana. I lived in Montana my entire life. I traveled for work. I was not some country bumpkin that never left Montana, but I had never lived anywhere but Montana and I'd never been more than a couple hours away from my family and all of those different things. So I knew that there was going to be some change and hopefully some evolution that came out of it. I don't think I realized how drastically I would want to change based on the things that have happened since we've been on the road. Yeah, I would agree with you. You definitely have had the most adjusting to do in this journey, for sure. And I think you're doing a great job. But certainly, there have been challenges. And, and I think there's going to continue to be. You know, there's no doubt. And, and as you said, it's an opportunity for growth and improvement, uh, you know, personal improvement. I think one of the things I want to change or work on the most is not being so hard on myself. I think especially when we first got on the road, we were in some strenuous situations, some very stressful moments, and I reacted emotionally to them. And then I was upset with myself for doing that because I felt like I had failed in some way. And, you know, the other thing is I left all of my regular play partners. I, I left the people that I really trusted. And when we first got on the road, I think because of that, I wasn't feeling uber sexual. And I was disappointed with myself because of that, because part of what makes our relationship amazing and brings us close together and, and the ways that we have fun with each other are playing with other people and experiencing different sexual scenarios. And the fact that I really didn't want to do that in that time in the very beginning when we first got on the road, I felt like I was failing. And now that I've had a chance to step back from it and look at it from a, a different viewpoint, I'm like, I, you really should not have been so hard on yourself, Brenna. Like your entire life turned upside down. You can't expect that everything's just going to be seamless. And I think that's just one example of how I, I do tend to be really hard on myself. I'm my own worst critic. And I'm very easy to point out the things that I'm doing poorly rather than looking at the things that I'm doing well. So that's one thing that I really want to work on. Well, you and I are not that different from that respect because I am absolutely hardest on myself. No question about it. I'm terrible at it. I've always have been. That's just a, a you know, just one of those character flaws, I guess. But as it pertains to the the trip and all the changes, yeah, absolutely. There's some room, even for me. You know, I I guess my biggest thing that I'd like to change as we progress on the on the traveling piece of this journey. Because unlike yourself, I've lived in a lot of different places. I've picked up and moved, particularly for work, on the literally within a two hours' notice. Hey, you got to be in another city in another state, and and I just did it. Dropped everything and just moved, and with very little concern for whatever relationship I was in or whatever personal situation I found myself in. It was professional. It was work. It was my job. Boom, done. No questions asked. And I'm still quick to pull the trigger on things that I I can't because I'm 
you know, I have a partner who matters. And as we take this journey, much like yourself, we've and we've done this already, where at times where you've gotten upset and been concerned and shown some real concern about what's going to be in the future, I've said to you, well, pick a spot, pick a spot on the map, let's just go and we're just going to move. And I'm real quick to do that. Because I don't care where it is. As long as you and I are together, I have lived in some really great places and some really not so great places. So I don't care. Well, I think that's part of the evolution of us as a couple that we really need to work on is like, I haven't done those things. I haven't just picked up and moved. I've really had to figure out whatever situation I'm in. I've really had to look at it and try to figure it out and make it make sense because I've had a lot of stability in my life and it's very I'm not quick to give up whatever stability I have you are used to not having stability in your life so you are very quick to go okay this isn't working we're just going to completely change courses 100%. we're just going to and we do this with non-monogamy as well I think the single lady situation was a good example of that like let's not it's not working so we're just going to completely change course yeah you do that with people and with scenarios. And I fight back against that because it's like, no, I want to try to work on this. I want to find the stability in it. And so I think we've really had to try to find a middle ground between you being so quick to jump off onto something else and me digging my heels into whatever is going on in that immediate moment. Yeah, it's that that's the ADD in me. I, I don't, I tend to not cling to things that don't work. And, and I, once again, comes from my former life professionally because if something didn't work, it was a time consumer, it was a money issue, uh, it cost money and time, then we were, I, was, I was out of it. We just jumped out of it. And relationships were no different. If something was a struggle, if there was a, any bump in the road and I thought, well, I'm going to weigh the pros and cons of this, typically I was out. And, you know, because I had very little skin in the game as far as from an emotional standpoint, very little emotional skin in the game. I was never really concerned enough about a relationship to earnestly try to make it work. I would, I guess in times I would fake it, but it wasn't enough to make it last, obviously, because you and I wouldn't be sitting here. And I have to really start to look at things a little bit differently because of our relationship where if, you know, if this had, if what we went through together on this, on the road trip thus far, or prior to where we are right now, I should say the first, you know, first month of how crazy things were and how upset you were and trying to get adjusted to new surroundings and being in different places and not being stable. And if that was just me years ago, I, I would have just parked wherever I was and that would have been the end of it. I would have just stayed right where I was and that, and I, it wouldn't have mattered to me where, where I lived or anything. Now it makes a difference. You know, yeah. you and I matter. Our relationship obviously is much more important than just me. So I have to learn not to be so quick to pull the trigger. Yeah. That's what I have to do. I agree. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Because I do it fast. I'm quick on the trigger. <laughs> yeah. And then it makes me anxious. And the minute you say something, because I want you to be happy, of course, and I'm going to, I want to, I really earnestly try to take your lead because I know that it's a little bit more difficult for you to kind of wrap your head around some of this stuff. The minute you say something to me like, okay, well, maybe we should do this. I'm like, yep, that's it. We're going to do that. Whatever you say. We're, we're, no, no issue for me. I'll figure it out. So I, I have to not do that. I need to look at things a little bit more kind of, I need to look at the periphery also, not just what's directly holistic, in front of me. Holistic, yeah. Yeah, I need that holistic kind of overview. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's just too easy for me to, to do something or not do something. Yeah. Something else I really have been wanting to work on, we touched a little bit on this on our last episode of Front Porch Swingers, but I want to stop putting parameters on the people that I interact with. Yeah. For example, age has always been a big one for me. I've never wanted to interact with people who are younger than me. And a big portion of that has been because the maturity levels of younger people are a real struggle for me. I don't even think that I'm a normal quote unquote normal who knows what normal is but a normal 31 year old and so a lot of times even people my age I really struggle with talking to them and relating to them and I often feel that especially younger men have a lack of understanding of what it means to interact with someone in my situation a non-monogamous partnered woman who loves experiencing other people and having sex with other people but also demands a certain level of respect and uh, a high level of 
connection. I don't often find that 25-year-old men are capable of that connection with me or want to cultivate that connection. And I struggle with that as a result. But I think I really need to stop putting people in boxes like that. I need to look at people much like we were talking about with the single woman. Stop looking at past experiences as indicators for how people are going to behave in the future because that's really not fair. Yeah, and I, I would agree with you. I think you you certainly, and we talked about this as you mentioned, I think you need to kind of open up that space a little bit for yourself. I think you're missing out on a, on a really good portion of quality people that you can interact with or that we can interact with. I don't think I'm that different. I certainly don't necessarily have parameters on age, but I do think I need to be a little bit more open to to different types of people. I am real quick to say yay or nay on that first kind of meeting. I, you know, I'm a first impressions guy, always have been. And if you if your first impression for me isn't awesome, it's really easy for me to not talk to you again. I, I could easily do that, and I've done it my entire life. And I need to not do that because, as it's turned out, a number of times now, or at least a couple of times. It actually has been a situation where I met somebody, didn't really care for them, n- never really kind of interacted with them again. All of a sudden, they'll pop back up or you'll reintroduce in- me to them. And then they seem much different than they did the first time. And maybe the first time they were having a bad day, something traumatic maybe had happened or, you know, they were uncomfortable in a particular situation. And I never give that a lot of thought, you know, because I always try to give a, g- a good first impression. And if someone isn't willing to do that in my past, I would just walk away from it. But I need to not do that. I need to not, I need to not be so quick to give up on people yeah that's what i need to do i would agree with that i think both of us need to do that i think part of it for you though is that you have you've dealt with some unsavory people in your life and you've developed instinct i've always said brian i always tell people brian is my human lie detector because you are so good at picking up on things and seeing the things that are unspoken and that's a really good quality to have but when you're wrong, you're really wrong. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen often. Uh, but I am also in uncharted waters a lot of times. Now, depending on our environment, I'm always spot on in certain certain circumstances. But there are times, however, where I have been off. And like you said, if I'm off, I'm real off. And, and it doesn't matter that I'm off. I'm going to kind of react the same way. And that's the issue. Right. You right. know, I'm, I will simply just... I'll just discontinue the the engagement and then that's just it, you know? So I, I need to be a little bit more adaptable and I think I need to be a little bit more accepting of uh, people in general and giving them that second chance. I, I'm not, I've never been a second chance person or hardly ever. Yeah. A little bit more patience probably as well. For sure. I could definitely benefit from that. <laughs> I think something else that we need to work on as a couple, something that I would like to see us change is how reactionary we are to each other. So for example, if I get upset about something, you get really upset about something. Sure. If I have a negative reaction to something, even if you haven't up to that point, all of a sudden it becomes a negative reaction for you. We feed off of each other's energies. And part of that is a good thing because I always feel like we're a team and we always have each other's back. And that's, I think it's so important, not only in a relationship period, but especially in a non-monogamous relationship to always back your partner up and always you know, have their best interest at heart. But I think a lot of times what happens is I'm a very emotional reactor. I have very sometimes strong emotional reactions to whatever's going on in my atmosphere. And you feed off of that, whatever it happens to be. It's a loyalty piece. Uh, I mean, listen, it's tattooed on me. Loyalty and integrity are tattooed on me. And I had, again, my my past really was predicated on the loyalty of, of a very small group of people. And we relied on each other. And if you were in that circle then we would have done anything for each other. Still to this day, a lot of us, a number of us will, those of us that are still around. And for me, if you're, you're my partner, first and foremost, you're number one. So if someone is wronging you, then they're wronging me. If you're upset with something, I'm instantly upset with it and want to rectify it. I'm on, I'm on your team. So if you have a problem, I have a problem. If you like something, genuinely, typically I like it. If you dislike something, and then typically I dislike it. And if someone's done something to you, adversely done something to you, then they've done it to me. And and my reaction, of course, is much different from yours. Yes. I, I am definitely much quicker uh, on the trigger, and I will... 
I'll blow up a situation real fast. You're quick to anger. Yeah, I will blow the situation up real quickly, especially if I think you're in some way upset or hurt. Someone's been disrespectful. Anything other than happiness and joy coming from you for a situation causes me angst. And then I instantly get on that train. And it's real tough to stop that train. It's it, real tough. It's impossible. It's yeah. impossible to stop that train. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think we have a, a bad habit of kind of winding each other up in negative situations yeah. and sometimes turning them into far more than they should be. Yeah. So I think that that's something we really need to work on, being able to step back and you know, if I'm reacting emotionally to something, you reacting more logically to it and vice versa, us being able to calm down a situation, diffusing the bomb rather than lighting the bomb. That's really something we need to work on. It's a skill set that we haven't necessarily developed in our relationship yet. Well, no, not really. But there are times, however, where it it's important that one of us, typically it's me, have a kind of a different outlook on certain things and are, are I'm able to shut things down that need to be shut down where you're not necessarily prepared to do that. You're not able to necessarily walk away or to really see something for just maybe how toxic or it is or you're really not good for us that it is i'm i'm much quicker to say nope this isn't going to work we need to walk away so it's difficult for me to balance those two i need to do a better job of it for sure but uh, i'm a work in progress (laughs) same (laughs) what else do you feel like we need to work on well i think in general we need to because again like a lot of things ethical non-monogamy has been a journey for us and it's been a, a challenging obviously but certainly an amazing adventure and we are very very quick to jump into anything that we think or that is a new experience that would be a great experience or that we think will be a great experience and we do that haphazardly a lot of times at the same time however we are incredibly analytical about situations and events and possibilities like we will we could easily talk ourselves out of a good time very easily we can also talk ourselves into getting into something that does not make any sense for us whatsoever because it's a new experience and why the hell not right (laughs) we have got to balance those two because we can talk at nauseum about something dissect a situation that's taken place or even dissect a situation that hasn't taken place and we can try to determine all the potential outcomes that doesn't work. Yeah, because it's we're talking, insane. <laughs> we're dealing with human nature. Any number of factors can can alter how something's going to turn out. And you and I are really bad about that. It, it, I think the biggest problem is the more time we have to think about it, the worse it gets. Oh, 100%. So we have to come up with a method by which we are no longer quick to pull the trigger instantly on something and just jump in hip deep and at the same time not choke the fun out of it. You know, we have to find that happy medium because yeah. we will do that. We do it all the time. Yeah, I would agree. I think our relationship lends itself to us being so open to new experiences and not always thinking them through. ahead. So basically what we do is we jump in and then things don't always go according to plan and then we dissect it to death. Oh, yeah, That's we, what we yeah. do. And we need to be a little bit more analytical on the front end and then allow things to develop organically. Yeah, we've, we definitely forensically dismember everything. Right, but on the back end, not before. Not prior. Yeah, it's always <laughs> after. It's always the, the four and five hour conversations after something terrible has happened or a, a situation that we deem less than perfect has taken place. And we're like, okay, let's figure out what went wrong. Who's, you know, who, who did what? How, did, how can we do it again? It, it's human nature. There are certain aspects of this that you're just simply not going to be able to uncover and or, or dictate really and we have to be better at kind of accepting things as they are we yeah. definitely got to improve that you know the other thing i think for me personally that i've gotten and want to continue to get out of our journey in ethical non-monogamy and our relationship of course is my personal sexuality which i am 100 in touch with at this point which i never was before and i don't know that i ever really could have been given my circumstances but now because i'm have come completely to terms with who i am sexually i want to continue that because i know there's more i don't know what it is I just know that there's more for me to experience and to be open to. And I absolutely am 100% open to all of those experiences. Anything that comes my way that I think makes sense for the both of us, certainly. Um, And I'm looking forward to continuing to explore that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think one change I would like to see in that is you being able to verbalize that to me more. Like the things that it is you're excited about or want to experience. I'm always kind of pulling things out of you, not necessarily just with your sexuality, but just in general. I feel like I'm I'm always yanking things out of you. Like, tell me more. Tell me why this excites you. Like, tell me what a perfect scenario would look like for you. And it would be very cool to see you verbalize that to me, I guess, maybe more on your own free will rather than me feeling like I'm interviewing you. Yeah, I'm not, ter- yeah, I'm not terribly expressive. Now, it's funny because we just had dinner with friends and what uh, one of our friends told us yesterday was uh, that she learns more about me from our shows than she does when we talk in person. Yeah. Because I don't divulge a lot of stuff. I'm just, I've never been that way. And even with you, I, I, I guess I, I am a little bit a little bit more hesitant to just offer information. Now, if you ask me, of course, I'll tell you, but I I don't forfeit a lot of information, I guess, and I need to be better at that, particularly as it pertains to you know, my, my sexual desires and wants and needs and all that kind of, that, that type of stuff. I just need to be a little bit more open, I think. Yeah, because I want to, I want to help in any way I can in fulfilling those things for you. If it's something that involves me, I want to actively be a part of it for you. And I also want to do everything I can to support you from maybe a distance. You know, if, if there are things that don't involve me, I want to reaffirm that I support you and that I'm eager for you to experience the things that you want to experience. I want to be be able to provide you with words of affirmation. And I can't always do that if I don't know exactly in which ways to support you. Yeah. And a lot of times it's because I'm still working through it myself and, and trying to come up with some solutions before I come to you with questions or issues. You yeah, know? but I could be a sounding board for you. For you sure. could bounce those things off of me rather than just letting them rattle around in your own brain. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not great at that. I, <laughs> I need to be better. I need to be better at that. Especially because as I said, I want to continue to experience different things that I things I have not experienced before certainly and move forward further forward in my sexuality and in, in order to do that obviously you and I are going to have to have conversations about it so uh, yeah I think that's one of the things I want to improve on for sure as we continue down the road of uh, open relationship ethical non-monogamy and you know this whole space yeah I mean I probably have some some improvement to do in that area as well. For example, I will tell you about a fantasy or something that I want to experience while we're having sex. I'm really good at that. When the inhibitions are down, when the walls are down, we're already kind of being vulnerable with each other in a moment. I will 100% tell you all sorts of things that I think would be hot, that I want to do, that I want to experience, but I'm not quick to discuss those with you outside of the bedroom. I'm better at it than you probably, but I still have some improving to do in that area as well. Yeah, you're definitely better at it than I am. But we do tend to not, like we'll talk about things in the heat of the moment, in the heat of passion necessarily, like we should say, and they'll spark interest in both of us, but we rarely revisit them afterwards. And, and kind of act on those things, or we will later down the road. But I think we need to be quicker, as you said, to examine them and really start to dig in. That's the thing. It takes time. We'll say it, and then it'll be months again before we bring it back up. Yeah, I think it's something we need to be much better at, for sure, quicker to, uh, to react to. Okay, so one last thing that I think that I would like to see us work on before we wrap this up today. Okay. I want to see us be more independent of each other. That's uh, a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. I was waiting for that to come up. <laughs> So we are obviously looking at the possibility of being in polyamorous dynamics as time goes on. And one of the things that's really come to the forefront as we look at getting into polyamorous relationships is we don't like to be away from each other. We're very, in my opinion, dependent on one another. I don't like to not have your presence. It makes me feel anxious. I think we've developed a relationship while incredibly strong and based on an amazing friendship and desire to be around one another, we haven't left a lot of room in our relationship to be independent people. No, we have not left a lot of room in our relationship for other relationships. Lots of friends, lots of play partners, lifelong friends. But when it comes to external relationships of, of real value, of real quality, real substance, we have not left a lot of room for that. I think part of that, of course, is we're together all the time. With the exception of when we traveled for work in our prior lives, we were always together. Now we're really always together. <laughs> and we're in different places and, you know, places that, you know, we're, you particularly are unfamiliar with. So I think there's a little bit even more now where I'm even more cautious about not being with you for those reasons. Well, what's really interesting is you guys will probably remember if you listen to our other show, From Poor Swingers, we were taught, we 
kind of joked, but we were also being honest about needing our alone time when we got on the road. We talked about, you know, an hour a day we need to separate or half a day once a week we need to separate. We aren't doing that right now. No. At all. We are together 24-7 and kind of to our surprise, it hasn't been an issue. Like we're not sick of each other. No. And other than actual play part, being with play partners or playtime, we have not been apart for an hour, not even close. No. Uh, you know, unless I'm running to the store or something silly, we are absolutely not apart. Now, while I think a lot of couples would be like, we thought we need our alone time. We can't do that. We don't want to, you know, be on top of each other all the time. We need some privacy. We just don't find that to be an issue, but it is an issue. <laughs> and, and we need to wean ourselves off of that dependency, I think. And I don't think it's an unhealthy dependency. I think for in a lot of ways, it was really, it was necessary, certainly, especially as we, as we begun this journey. But now that we're, you know, we're getting a little bit more stable, we're finding our sea legs, we're, we're starting to get a rhythm. We really have to come up with a method that works for us to spend a little bit more time apart. Because I think, as we know, from previous experiences, we will appreciate our time together more. Uh, we just have to make it work for us and make it make sense for us. As we talk, we were talking to some folks not too long ago about this very subject, and my answer to them was, you know, we want to spend some time apart if there's a measurable benefit. Right. It, it has to be a measurable benefit. If there's not, then why would we not want to be together? Right. I don't we I don't want to spend time away from my you know the most important person in my life just for exercise. Right. I, I don't need to do that. So it, it has to make sense. And that's the biggest thing. And and that's gonna be difficult to determine. Yeah. Not gonna be easy. Well, I think we've also created a dependency on each other in other ways. Like for example, up until a few days ago, I was never cooking for myself. Yeah. You were doing all of the cooking. We're now on an RV and the first couple of weeks we were on the RV, I didn't even know how to turn on some of the lights on the RV. Yeah. Like those are things that I'm far too reliant on you for. I'm an adult. I can figure those things out. But you kind of take on that role in our relationship. You're very much the caretaker in a lot of ways in our relationship. And I think we've just fallen into that role and we haven't gotten out of it. And now that we're talking about potentially seeing other people, it's like that doesn't work. I can't be alone on an RV that I don't know how to operate. I can't be alone and not be able to cook for myself. Like those are things that we just need to start thinking far more about. Yeah, it, it's the stuff that that's the stuff that matters. We we have to figure out how to make that fit into our dynamic, but it is something we have to work on because our level of dependency on one another is really going to be debilitating when it comes to trying to have other relationships. It'll become an interference for sure. Yeah. It, it simply won't allow it to work. Yeah, 100%. So obviously, we talked through this entire topic today. We talked through our changes up to this point and the things we want to continue to change, hopefully as an illustration for you guys, that change can be a really good and positive thing, that it can bring about a lot of amazing experiences if you allow it to. And especially when you're in a non-monogamous relationship, I think constant evolution is what's necessary to make a long-term non-monogamous relationship work, not only with your partner, but with other people. If you plan to have regular play partners, long-term play partners, you have to be able to evolve and you also have to allow different relationships relationships to evolve in different ways and be open to that. I think that that's so important. And I think it's something that a lot of people aren't expecting when they first get into the world of non-monogamy. They may expect with their own partner, they're going to have to work on some things, but individually evolving or evolving in each individual relationship can be a struggle and something you definitely need to find balance in and understand how to navigate in a healthy and meaningful way. Yep. I, th I do think that the important thing that for me, my takeaway is our relationship is the most important always always will be it's forefront and then everything else has to be it has to be done thoughtfully i think every other relationship every other experience has to be kind of considered and entertained with that in mind and once you do that i mean for us that's what works we always put each other first and then everything else just falls into place and if, if that's the case for other people i think they'll be successful certainly in in this space and um, you know you just have to put what's important first i mean that's just it yeah. you know everything else is is extra 
you know, it's the it's the icing on the cake for you and I certainly. But we do have some work to do. You know, we ha- we are always growing. I think if you don't grow, you just get stagnant, and and that's where you start to have the you know have the issues whether you're in ethical non monogamy or not, or you're in a monogamous relationship or whatever your situation. I, I just think growth and evolution is paramount. You've got to continue to grow in some way. I just think it's important, especially in a relationship like ours. Yeah, you have to be open to it as well. And I also think like we just did, you have to seek out the ways in which you want to change and put serious effort and energy towards those things. If they're important to you, make the time to actually work on them and don't just say those things. Oh, I'd like to see this change. I'd like to become better in X, Y, and Z area, but you don't actually put the effort in to make it happen. It's always just words rather than actions. And that's not a healthy place to be either. So you've got to acknowledge it and then you have to execute it. And that's just what we have to do to improve as people. Yeah. That's it. So if there is anything that we can do to help you in this area or any area related to sexuality, we, of course, have our coaching services available at sexonyourterms.com. You can set up a consultative call with us there if you'd like to discuss some of these things and see if we might be able to help you. This has become a true life passion for us, talking to people about their sexuality, their relationships, and the things that they want to do to improve and become the best version of themselves that they can be. So we would love to speak to you. Again, find us at sexonyourterms.com. You can also find us on the socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram at sexonyourterms. You can email us directly at sexonyourterms at gmail.com. And if you're not already subscribed to us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you're listening right now, we would super appreciate if you would do that. I think that is what we have for you this time. So until next time, we hope you enjoy Sex on Your Terms.